This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. This is Miss Liz Goldwyn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, Liz is a very fascinating figure because she has touched on all of these topics in a variety of books, and now she's running the sexed.com and is a huge advocate, obviously, for sex education and has been since you were a teenager. That's right. Since yeah. I was 13. My first job was as a paid intern at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Los Angeles in Santa Monica. I was answering phones <laughs> and peer educating, and then I was organizing their media library. So everything from, you know, at that time, because this is pre-Google, um, books and VHS tapes and pamphlets. A lot of single dads would come in who had teenage daughters around my age and tell, ask me, a 13-year-old, how do I talk to my kid about sex or puberty? You know, and then at school, other kids would ask me about you know, urinary tract infections or blowjobs and advice that was beyond my skill set. But I was very comfortable always with, with asking questions. I like to research. Um, so I had access to information and was happy to share it. <laughs> That's amazing. You must have been very popular in high school. <laughs> I was for my therapy skills. I became the go-to person for sure. And that sort of stayed with me through my life. I'm really trying to imagine a pre-Google era of all the confusion because, you know, the lack of sex education nationally is obviously such a huge problem. And thank God everyone has, like, Google access at this point. I don't know that Google... I think the Internet has definitely democratized information, which is important. But if you type in a search term like anal sex, for example, um, into Google, you're not necessarily going to get vetted information True. with those results. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a little bit like the 21st century version of passing around schoolyard myths, because in this day and age, anyone can call themselves an expert on any subject. That's another thing that, you know, the internet has done. And while I think it's, it's great that people have a, uh, you know, a venue to get their voice out there when it comes to issues of sexual wellness, I think we need to be careful. 
Yeah. Well, that's why the sex ed is offering such a beautiful support. And I keep wanting to introduce my audience to these safe spaces where they're actually going to get accurate, wonderful information that expands their mind in some way. And I think that's invaluable. But I'm really curious what your upbringing was in your household that you were comfortable and able and allowed to be at Planned Parenthood at 13 years old. Well, my mom is from Texas, and she was raised Catholic. She went to Catholic school um, and, you know, sort of had her own journey to coming to terms with her relationship with the church. And in particular, she's she's very pro-choice. Um, and so th- that kind of caused a, f- a fallout uh, for her with the church. Um, and, and, and also because of that, I think – she made a point not to raise me with religion. I'm born on Christmas Day. No. <laughs> my, yeah, my father's my father's dad was a Polish immigrant, spoke Yiddish as his first language from the Warsaw Ghetto, Jewish. Wow. Um, came to America and came to LA in, in 1914 and at a time when, you know, anti-Semitism was rampant. Um, so also raised his son, my father, really without religion. Mm-hmm. Um and my father's mother was was Catholic, my grandmother. So I kind of grew up in this household where I'm, I'm getting to the sex, but I feel no, like it's fine. given your time. audience, I think the religion is important. Um, Definitely. You know, where it was almost like they had each of my parents or their parents had their own baggage with this idea of God, um, yeah. you know, and then they separately had their own ideas about sex. Like for my mom, she's very feminist, very much about fighting for women's reproductive freedom and Mm -hmm. health so that was that was her bag and then my dad on the other end was he's passed away now but he was a total playboy like don't remember a time when he didn't have you know mistresses and girlfriends and you know I would steal his playboy magazine so I had very two very opposite figures um and I kind of even at an early age just intuitively felt that each of them had their own stuff around sex and didn't have a space to confront that. And that maybe, especially I think for, for my mom with the the whole relationship with the church had, um, a lot of stuff tied up in it where she felt it was a very black and white choice, like being for women's reproductive white rights equaled being against the, the religion she'd been raised in. Yeah. So I think from an early age, I just kind of sensed, Oh, this is sad. Is it sad that like my parents or people around me have so many, um, you know, issues or fear or shame or trauma around, around sex and, and spirituality was kind of mixed up in, in that. Um, so because of my mom, that's how I landed at, at Planned Parenthood. But, you know, very early on, I would say I, I also felt that spirituality and sexuality should not be misaligned and that there was a whole lot of people around the world that were being forced to choose. Yeah. Um, where I feel that sex as it, as its essence. And if you read many different religious texts across, you know, across beliefs, um, sexuality is, related to ecstatic experience or an experience of God in, yeah. in, in a lot of senses. So, you know, I had thought that that was a mistake that 
we don't allow people who have come from strict religious backgrounds an opportunity to explore sexuality and still love their god or gods. I mean, yes, you are preaching to the choir of one, which is me. Like, I I couldn't agree more. And that is the thing that breaks my heart. And that's really the heart of why I started God is Gray in the first place. Because I saw people leaving the church in droves because they're gay or because they're just sexually active. And it just seemed like such a stupid reason to leave, like, all of this beauty and all of this wonder. And now the more that I'm expanding my mind... And meeting people from all different walks of life that are studying sexuality and spirituality, it's really, really broadening my view. And then the more I think about it and like the wonder of God and all of these things that I was raised, like, for example, we are raised to believe in the ecstatic experience of sex, like in the the evangelical church, they talk a lot about how sex is going to be this amazing thing and you just have to wait and it's going to be wonderful. And then as soon as you get there, they kind of shut the door on what that actually means, like what an ecstatic experience is or whether or not God can be in the bedroom with you and your person when you are having that experience. And I think that is a tragic oversight of my whole religion because it's such a fundamental, beautiful part of life. And obviously God is in that experience, whatever you, whatever word you put to God. And God is in self, right? So when we say sex, for me, I think sex starts with your sexual energy is your creative energy, is your life force energy. This doesn't mean having sex with another person. It may not even mean masturbating. It may not even be, mean having an orgasm. It means on a very base level, familiarizing yourself with your body and with the and with your with your sexuality. Like, what does it feel like? What does it taste like? It sounds abstract, but I think you've you've kind of got to start there before you even think about bringing anyone else into into that experience. Um, I think you can you know definitely speak about this in on our site, but you can breathe yourself to orgasm. Um, I gotta try that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I think you can. You can masturbating can be spiritual. You can use masturbation as a way to manifest desire. Um, you know, I think, I think these are, it's a very powerful tool. It can be like a prayer. I know that is a controversial bit of information I've been toying with lately and my own thinking and spirituality, because it sounds blasphemous when you hear it coming from my background. You're like, how dare you? Because sex is so synonymous with being dirty and being sinful, but imagining praying and prayer aligned with that is is scary to initially hear something like that could you like demystify that I a mean, little sex bit? is sacred in in india there are um they're called devadesi they're sacred prostitutes that are aligned with different temples really? so yeah so i mean in many different cultures and in different time periods throughout history there is a lot of um cohesion between with sacred sexuality, I mean, studying Tantra or Taoism, there's a lot of um, parallels between prana, life force, and energy, and, and sex. Um, I, you know, I think where we get into trouble is with strict doctrines that break things down into black and white. I mean, your relationship with your with God and your relationship with with sexuality are so personal. And even if you're if you're members of the same church or you or you're both define yourselves by a similar sexual orientation, your your ex, no person's experience of that is the same. 
your experience of God and is different than mine. Yeah. Um, and that's beautiful. And there needs to be room for that. Yeah. I think I would be curious to ask you right now. I'm in a period of being very single. Like I'm really not meeting anyone that is captivating me. And I almost feel in a way I feel less sexual than ever or, or less like motivated by that than ever. And at the same time, I am really trying to dedicate myself to aligning my spirituality with my sexuality because they've been in discord for so long. So what would you kind of recommend to a Christian person that's been taught um, sexuality with all of the shame wrapped in this package and is now trying to like free themselves of that shame and also simultaneously like align and realize the ecstatic experience of sex and how God can be a part of that, even exploring on their own in a, like a moment of singleness. I mean, I think that singleness is really a beautiful thing, especially if you want to manifest into your life, you know, a partner or partners who are, who align with your core values. It takes a long time to clear the energy, the exchange between, you know, two or more people, however you're having sex, when you're having sex. Um, and especially if you are um, receiving, if you're being penetrated, you're, that's an, a big energy exchange. You're taking on, on someone else's, you're taking on, you're taking on their, their, their baggage. Um, yeah. So I actually think it's really that you can still have orgasms, you can masturbate, you can take yourself on dates, you can experiment with all sorts of sorts of different things without necessarily having sex mm. in those periods that help you align towards what you want and obviously conserve your energy. I mean, um, Shakespeare, when, when William Shakespeare was working on you know, one of his, his epic sonnets, he would refrain from having sex. When Mae West, the playwright and actress, was finishing a play, she wouldn't have sex. And she was known as a femme fatale. Athletes before a big game. It's that same idea of sort of conserving it for yourself. Yeah. And the more that you harness it, I, I feel, the more power you have to, to spend and you can choose where you want to spend it. That's not to say that if you want to have casual sex, um, go for it. Um, you know, I think for me personally that I'm very sensitive and mm. very vulnerable. So that's a lot harder for me to do. I love what you're saying about the energy exchange, because I think in Christian church, we're also taught just don't do things without a clear why. And I went through a phase of saving myself for marriage and being married and then into like extreme promiscuity. And I don't shame anyone for doing anything similar. However, I cannot deny the way that harmed me because I am also a sensitive person. And I was trying to be like one of the boys and pretend everything was cool all the time. And I feel like I'm working through a lot of that now. And like you're saying, trying to clear that energy that I invited into my life, those people that were not aligned or maybe even respectful of my body or my time or my space. So do you have tips on how to sort of even begin clearing that kind of energy away? I do. And I also want to say that we're in a moment right now where sex has become so it's transactional yeah. because of the of, of, of dating apps and et cetera. And it's almost like there's, I think there's an extreme cultural pressure to be, experiment experimenting mm. but you see asexuality on the rise among younger people you see a lot of people not having sex sort of as a as a reaction um 
I think that, you know, in our, and I did a podcast with Nina Hartley, who's an adult film star, and we talk about celibacy mm. as a, as a choice and as a choice not to ever, not ever have sex again, but going through periods of self-imposed celibacy as a way to, to regain that energy, you know, rebuild yourself. When you said you, you know, you went from one extreme to another and you're working through that. I personally don't believe in regrets. Um, I think it eats you up inside to, I think, you know, things happen for a reason. People come into your life or experience people to, to, you know, to love you, to hurt you, to harm you, to teach you. Mm. There's a reason why, why you went through all of that. So I, I think you can't beat yourself up over that on like a very sort of woo woo level. I actually recommend that people sage, like go outside, get a piece of sage, like don't get it too close to your genitals, but you know, burn some sage, (laughs) set an attention seriously, Mm -hmm. like really think about, or if there's a, you know, a way that you pray or like, you know, intentionally, you know, meditate on putting that person's energy, reclaiming your own energy in your own space. And the other thing is, you know, working on boundaries. I think from the time that we're, we're little kids, we're not, we're not, we don't, we're not taught body autonomy. No. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and whether or not you're ra- raised in a religious household, we're also taught, you know, nicknames for genitals instead of what they are. And we're told, don't touch, don't touch yourself instead of, you know, maybe, maybe you want to touch yourself in, you know, privately. Yeah. Like it's okay to explore because, you know, all, you know, all humans and animals are going to do that. My cat licks licks himself all over all the time <laughs> with no shame you know he's not bothered by it yeah um you know so I, I think the first thing is being easier easy on yourself where you're at mm. because there's no such thing as getting it right when it comes to sexuality we're all kind of bumbling in the dark yeah and I think you have an excellent point with where we're at in our society as well. I feel like I'm becoming quite asexual because men are turning me off so quickly. They're um kind of like disregard for either not respecting my time, like not texting when they said they were going to, or you know, I used to tolerate so much like these little hints of disrespect, and I'd still let you in my home, in my bed, in my body. And now I'm kind of like at that first sign, like, oh, I don't want you in my space. I don't think you're going to respect it the way that I want it to be respected. Yeah. I mean, people will all, I mean, that's the thing. Like we, we do, we have to take some responsibility for what we're, what we, what we want to put up with. And, you know, if you're, you're a busy woman, you have things you want to do with your life. You have things you want to put out there. So, you know, you kind of have to you know, set those things about what you will or will not tolerate. Like if you say, I want, I, I very much believe in the power of prayer or, you know, or affirmation. So if you, if you put it out there, like I want to um, go through a period where I am just going to date a lot of people and I'm going to get, you'll, it'll happen. Yeah. It'll, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to be careful what you wish for, which is why you always have to save for the highest good. Um, <laughs> That's you how know. you end your prayers with the highest good. Yeah, everything you I ask for. If I do, if I do a vision board, I always write FTHG. Yeah, Cute. I really like that. Yeah, it's just funny. A little anecdote. I was like, um, I very casually and jokingly prayed about meeting a very specific guy, and I was like, um, 
I'm going to meet him at this place and he's going to look like this and he's going to be that tall and he's going to be salt and pepper haired and all of these things. And this guy just appeared like a week later. And I was like, that's actually scary. (laughs) That's why you have to say for the highest good. Because I mean, I do a lot of um, altars and um, very ritualistic in my, in my practice of my spirituality. Um, You know, I actually, my, you know, I said my mother, she had this has this complicated relationship with the church but i did grow up you know going with you know if we were traveling or something going to churches always lighting a candle mm-hmm. i very much enjoy the ritualistic almost fetishistic aspect of many different different religions in that sense whether it's um you know buddhism or hinduism or or judaism or catholicism it doesn't necessarily mean i agree with all the doctrine but yeah, yeah i do feel like ritual prayer there's a power in that there's mm-hmm. a power when you go into a place of worship and you feel all that you know humanity yeah you know all that all those tears and the that that blood and the love Yeah, I love that. I know I feel like a lot of people fear different rituals and I keep saying the same thing that if you think of the Catholic Church, just the intention of being like, I'm going to take out sage. It's not that you're putting God in that sage or like giving power to that thing. It's more like the power behind the intention and the honor that you're giving the prayer of actually taking action and being thoughtful about it. Um, what did I, oh, how do you mean fetishistic? Is that the word you use for church? Yeah, or for yeah I mean, just that whole like rituals, rituals in and of themselves are quite fetishistic. How so? Um, because fetish and ritual go, go hand in hand. There's like a certain order you do things in, or, you know, you can fetishize like using a, you know, a certain kind of, of incense or, um, you know, lighting things in a, in a certain manner, or maybe you have to take like a salt bath before you do something. I I quite like that. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to talk more about that actually too, because I've noticed when talking to people, like I just interviewed a dominatrix and I loved how much clarity there was in the beginning of a, an experience that she was about to have with someone that there was like clear boundaries, clear intention. And then like you're saying, these clear rituals of like cleanliness and just all of that, I feel like is missing because so many times we have sexual experiences and we're just in a hurry. We're either trying to just achieve orgasm and we're not being thoughtful about it, or we're not even honoring a masturbation experience by taking one second to light a candle. It's like not enough thought or Well, also I think a lot of times we're trying to fill a hole, right? We're trying to fill that loneliness because that's a Mm. basic human need and desire to be loved and touched and held and cuddled. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of times we, we culturally associate sex and love and they're not the same thing. So, you know, like when you're going back to dating apps or casual dating, it's like you, you may, it's, it's very easy to say, no, I don't want that other, I don't want that real human connection. I just want a body. But I think a lot of times you, you need to do some digging first and really think, well, actually, am I saying that I want, am I saying I don't want that, but really I do. So I'm going through the motions and I'm just getting what I'm putting out there instead of, you know, taking a step back. So when you look at something like BDSM, fetish, kink, where things are very, very spelled out, um, there's, you know, there's safe words. You, you really create the shape of what you're playing with before you play. Yeah. 
And so it's a, t- it's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. So it has, so you totally separate out that I'm vulnerable. I need, you know, I, I need you. But also in, in fetish and kink, there's something called aftercare subspace or after a scene as it's called um the person who's you know on the receiving end will be cuddled and given water and have their hair stroked and that's just part of that's just part and parcel whereas in like a casual sex transaction that's definitely not something that's a given i know i was like oh my gosh that sounds wonderful but i think a lot of people you know especially women yeah are are craving that yeah I would definitely say I'm the queen, and I still am, even though I'm trying not to be, the queen of saying something verbally that is not the truth, like pretending that I'm just calm, cool, and collected when really I'm an incredibly vulnerable person, you know? Because it's scary. It's really it's really scary, but vulnerability is a, is a huge source of power. I think it's our greatest power, especially as women. It's a beautiful thing. The more in touch with your vulnerability that you can be, the more that you know, other people will connect to you and empathize with you. Look at Frida Kahlo in the hospital, you know, post, post accident, post having a, you know, her spine fused with metal and she's painting on her body cast. You know, she's making literal art out of her pain, out of her vulnerability. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I think it's a source of strength to own it. Yeah. Otherwise it owns you. That is true. The more you lie about it, the more it feels like it has control. How do you think you could transfer that vulnerability into a source of power versus letting it take you over? I think by looking at it square in the face mm. and owning it and like looking at your shadow side. And it's it's very hard and we all spend a lot of time running from that or masking it, but really being like, fuck, this is who I am. Like yeah. this is who I am and I have these things that like I could call them ugly or I could just look at them and say they're part of me. They're part yeah. of me and that's beautiful and not, not beat your, and it's really, really hard to do. And I think you have to work at it all the time. Yes. Could you explain more of the shadow side? Because I've been reading and learning more about that as well. And I've noticed in the Christian church, we would call it a demon possession or the devil trying to get at you. Like a lot of the time our flaws, even as far as mental illness and stuff are considered, external things that are out to get us or or even demonic attacks we'll call them when in reality the concept of shadow side is that it's actually an integral part of your like light versus darkness in your own self right it, it is um and i think you know it's this idea of yin yang um that in order to be a balanced whole you you have light and dark and dark doesn't have to be dark isn't bad. I mean, that gets into a whole thing of like also racial oppression and the way it's used in this country that, you know, dark black is associated with bad, wrong. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, like how how can you know what joy or light is unless you have unless you have hurt? Um, these are all we're, we're human beings. We're not born without. I mean, I, I you know. I am not an expert on the Bible, so I guess, I don't know, does the Bible say you're born without sin? No, it says you're born, born with, with like, sin? yeah, an original sin, I guess. I'm not sure if that's Catholic only or, but I mean, we obviously are, but sin too, to me is, I've redefined it for myself as just something that causes harm, 
which actually helps free me from guilt about things that are like kind of innately a part of myself, even if I want to improve them, even if I do find them, like you said, ugly or whatever, that it's still not as scary as labeling them as sins. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because sin is just like, is it harming the environment, another person, my body, my spirit, the person that I'm having sex with, am I harming that? You know, all of those sorts of things. But I think most Christians would consider this shadow side. We're talking about your sin nature. Then it's time to get acquainted. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, I think you do. You, if you can't spend all your time avoiding something, it's that's going to conquer you. Yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to turn around face to face and make friends and under and understand what your shadow side is. How do you do that in a practical way? What does that look like, to, like in a day? I'm trying to think of like a personal example that I can give you. Um, I guess like trying to dig down to what your own, what your own issues are. Let's say if you're in a relationship, for example, like we come to the table with our own baggage. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so kind of owning your shit and maybe the way you react to things, you kind of think, well, okay, I'm doing that because I have a deep seated fear of being abandoned. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and like, okay, that's not a bad thing that you have that deep-seated fear of being abandoned. It just is. Yeah. It just is. It's part of, it's part of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So recognize it, accept it. Like, more aware you are, the more aware, like, a partner could be. Or if you're, I don't know, if, let's say you're, um, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, like, enjoying, like, wine or cannabis and, and using it as a way to, like, escape some sort of feeling of, like, boredom or loneliness. And the same thing thing could be said for using sex or, or, or food, you know, or anything in that same way. Um, yeah. And that's kind of when I would transfer it into the quote sin category, because at that point you're masking and then further harming yourself by like inviting these bad habits in or whatever. But it's also not beating yourself up in that moment Mm. being like, you know, there's things that I do that aren't really good for me. Like I like to, I do, I am a cannabis user and, um, (laughs) I, you know, I know smoking cigarettes is really bad for you, but every once in a while I like to roll like, you know, a little tobacco with my flower and, then I go through periods while I like get slightly addicted to the nicotine. I know it's really, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. I have these little things that I do and it's like these weird little ritual things where I like, um, so instead of being like, Oh, you know, Liz, I'm just being like, okay, this is your <laughs> shit. This is your shit. This is your pattern. This is like what you do. That's your quirk. I love you for it. I, I think we don't, you know, no one else is going to treat us the way that we want to be treated if we don't do it to ourselves. It's like not possible for another human being to give you everything you need. That's never going to happen. Even if you meet the most perfect person, mm-hmm. they're just not going to, it's not possible. You know, so we, and when we're born and when we're de- when we leave this earth, we're, we're on our own. Yeah. So we kind of got to give ourselves that love and nurturing that maybe we didn't receive from, you know, a parent or, you know, guardian figure. Yeah. And that maybe we haven't received or we don't receive in the way we want to from someone who we love. Yeah. I think it's hard for a lot of Christians to practice self-love because so much of what we're taught is selfless, selfless, give, give, especially as women. And that's not just Christian. That's a lot of women, obviously. But realizing that you have to fall in love with yourself first. Yeah, before. you can't give if you're operating a place from a place of emptiness. No. It's actually selfish. 
because you're kind of trying to save. And I, I see that a lot. I see a lot of people trying to save the world or save other people because they're so deeply don't like who they are. It's mm. not it's not selfish to put yourself first. And that does not mean not caring about community, not caring about, you know, people, other people around you, what's happening in the yeah. world. Yeah, of course. Um, I just want to be forthcoming too and let you know, I've been like learning so much and also struggling quite a bit because I had so much freedom on this like 16 year journey that I've been on of like emancipating myself from all these that I now see toxic ideas that I was given from the evangelical church of sexual shame and promises of living happily ever after, or even seeing everyone else as an other, every other religion, every other viewpoint, every other political stance. So I've been very comfortably, even though it's been hard spending 16 years grabbing concepts from Buddhism and feeling more than comfortable and happy with it or grabbing a concept from a sex positive site and being like, oh, I totally want to, you know, bring that into my routine. And now I do struggle sometimes finding the balance between offering my audience who I do feel responsible for, like bringing them education about sex, but at the same time balancing it with like not going too over the edge. I guess, for example, last week I just did a video on pornography and I just like studied some of the harm that it causes neurologically, physically, mentally. Not that I'm anti-porn, but I'm anti-porn in that certain way or when it starts taking somebody over. So I guess I'm wondering, just as someone that is obviously as spiritual as you, someone that I would much aspire to be, like grabbing from all these different traditions and practices and viewpoints and really assimilating them all into my life for the most beautiful version of Christianity that I can imagine for myself. I'm still trying to figure out what the boundaries are or how you like cross boundaries or cross thinking about different things or opening your mind up while still feeling like you have a sense of self or you're not going too far into the sex positive community where people are being harmed by some concepts or I don't know. Am I making sense? Like I'm struggling to find the balance, I guess. The balance of exploration and standing firm. And, and then also are. like presenting it to, to people that I feel like are counting on me to like, be like, this is right. And this is wrong. It's but a lot of pressure, say, but you, but you got to divorce yourself from that because yeah, there's no, there's <laughs> no such thing. Like my point of view is that, you know, me sitting here having a company called The Sex Ed and offering uh, people vetted, mm -hmm. edited, you know, information from people who I consider experts in a specific field. Yeah. I am not a guru. You are the guru. People who are listening to this is the guru, is, are the guru. Yeah. The guru or the God is inside every single one of us. We just need to understand how to find our way into that, into that inner voice, into that intuition, into that, you know, feeling in our stomach and feeling in our third eye. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you can put that kind of pressure on yourself to say that you absolutely know what is right and what is wrong because you're a human being. I know. I on feel this planet. so much pressure. So but much you pressure. just, but you got to, you got to divorce yourself from that. Yeah. Because it's not, it's just not possible. You're going to fuck up and you're, you know, 100. <laughs> but that's great because yeah. if you don't risk things in life, then, you know, that, that would be a very boring life to live. 
Yeah. I think that'd be a good message, not just to me, but to anyone, because there is so much pressure to be perfect. But there's no religion. such thing as perfect. Yeah. There's no such thing as perfect. And when it comes to, you know, ideas about spirituality and love as well, it's the imperfections that yeah. make us love someone. Yeah. For example, it's the imperfections and your audience too. It's your, it's the, it's you sort of saying, I tried this, you know, I, I went and tried this avenue of, for what you, you called it promiscuity, however you want to label it. And, and now you're reflecting on it and thinking, you know, well, maybe that, maybe there's some harm that came from certain aspects of it. It's like, you're trying, you're just trying. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there is harm in trying, even though we've been taught the opposite. I just love life experience and exploration. And there can be a lot of shame surrounding exploration. Like you said, unless you kind of like divorce yourself and are not afraid of a broken heart or... I mean, that's the risk in love is to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And, you know, I present things on the site that may not be things that I do personally or, you know, but I think it's interesting and I'm, I'm curious about these issues. And so I want to present the information so that someone else who's out there, who's also interested in that, doesn't feel freaked out that they, I don't want anyone to walk around feeling like they're not normal. Yeah. What are some of the, like, what was some of the journey for you going from Planned Parenthood and at 13 and learning about the basics of sex? What were some of the first things that started to really surprise you that you didn't expect? Um, I, I think it's the same thing, I, I guess, because I have so much access to information and have had since I was such a young age. And I've written two books, um, around sexuality one about the last generation of american burlesque queens and the yeah. advent of striptease called pretty things and then another one called sporting guide which is set in la in the world of vice and prostitution so each of those books i spent you know close to two decades on the research and writing and like putting them out there in book tours etc and talking to people around the world about these subjects is that i still get asked the same questions i got asked as a teenager so sometimes i'm always surprised like we haven't come further um, mm -hmm. or that there's still so much like in the closet. Um, yeah. Because I guess, you know, I feel lucky and grateful that, that I have so many people that I can call when I'm experiencing like a crisis personally and need to know information to bounce off of. Um, that's a big one. And then I think again, like just, you know, thinking about my own spiritual growth and how important that that has become in my sexuality over the last you know four to five years I would mm -hmm. say like relatively recently um I wish that that was something that I had you know then again I don't believe in regrets so I only started it now and, and this <laughs> yeah. this is where I'm at you know yeah. and I'm having some of the best sex of my life but you know I I would say like I think I will I, I would like to do more to further that that those concepts being talked about together yeah. Can I be nosy and ask what kind of things you've been working on the last four or five years with that? I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that I talk a bit, we talk about it about on our site, like orgasm breathing, for example, yeah. like really marrying the practice that I have in my like physical wellness with my sexual wellness, with my breathing. Meditation is a really big th thing in my daily practice. I start every day meditating mm. for 20 minutes. Um, I try to do it twice a day. I don't always get to that, but that has like that's a real 
like bedrock of where I try to operate from. I agree. Yeah. And so that, I think that has like just increased my, the intensity of my orgasms Mm. being, trying to be more centered in my body. I think, you know, it's even when Bethany Vernon, who we have a podcast coming out with next week, who's a mistress of the rope. She wrote a great book called the boudoir Bible. Um, she, uh, uses ropes a lot for, to work with trauma victims, um, to give people a sense of their body. And she tied me up for the first time. We've been friends for years, like four (laughs) years ago. And she kept saying to me, I, you know, I wanted to try it with a, with a mist, with like a master or mistress. I wanted, if I was going to do that, I wanted to experience it at the hands of someone I trusted. I know she's one of the best in the world Wow! and you know, not with an amateur or not. I didn't want to do that for the first time with a partner, like in a very serious, I mean, it's quite involved. Like, it took hours I think I remember Dita in your interview Dita Von T said something like I don't just let any asshole tie me up no no <laughs> yeah so which is important yeah so yeah. she was professional and you know the I it was really interesting to me it was a very interesting experience and she kept on saying to me the whole time I think this was probably four years ago she said be in your body remember your yoga remember your breathing and you know I've until I had that experience with her, it was, I could not connect that. I would never have been able to connect that. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I need to slow my breathing. I need to really, you know, think deeply about my body. I was having, you know, kind of a lot of of fear around Mm. and and being constricted like that. And, um, it sort of blew my mind because they, you know, they say that it's easier for men to separate, you know, their head from their head. Mm-hmm. during sex it sometimes can be harder for for a woman to be to, to be be in her body right really yeah. be in her body and be out of her head so you know things like that I think aligning my you know yeah my yogic practice or meditation practice with my sexuality has been kind of mind-blowing and like sort of where I want to go with with it I was doing um I was on holiday with my boyfriend and we were doing kundalini yoga (laughs) together um and it was like amazing because that really translated into like our intimate time on on such a deep mind-blowing level and I was like wow like that's never happened before you know where I've been in that place you know where I want to focus on that like energy and the sacred part of sexuality and then someone someone else is you know doing that with me and then because it's hard to like you can be at a certain place like you can you Brenda can say I'm at this place where I want to explore these things and and then you can go out there and be having like meeting random people online or whatever and you may not necessarily meet someone who's also doing that work right right like yes. it's all about That's like problem. it's super <laughs> yeah i mean it's like yeah. you know you just got to be in your flow in your path you know and that person who's like in their flow in their path you sort of at some point in your spiritual evolution they're going to co- cross your path. Oh, yeah. I want to force it so bad You sometimes. can't force it, though. <laughs> no, I know. You can't force it. And my most, yeah, my, my heart is actually in the right place. I'm like, no, of course not. I have patience. But then when my head starts to get rolling, it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was telling you that, you know, we for our season finale of the podcast, we it's about I interviewed 50 strangers about love. Mm-hmm. And one of the women was talking about she's divorced and she was saying that she just had or like her biggest fear was dying alone and being eaten by her cats. Wow. And I was like that's super relatable. I mean, I don't I think that's how our 
we all fear that. Yeah. But she was saying it to me as though she felt so alone in that fear and insecurity. Mm. You know, and I think that's a big thing is that we all walk around having these really profound fears and insecurities thinking that we're the only person on the planet who feels this way and everyone else has it so much more together than we do. Yeah. And it's not true. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about what you're doing on the sex ed too. Just demystifying all of these practices and ideas and making them really attainable and not threatening and scary. Even the logo and like the look of the website is like, oh, okay, this looks like a safe place where I can learn something, you know, because a lot of the things that seem so outrageous, even when you're thinking of it in your own head, you know, are just like, oh gosh, no one else would think that or want to do that. You read it on the sexed.com and you're like, oh, wow, <laughs> other people are fully going for it. And it's not that scary. And sex is such a it's such a huge buffet of different experiences and prospects and ideas. And it's really beautiful to explore that in a real way. I think I have a question too about, you're talking a lot about um, yourself and falling in love with yourself and having these yogic breathing practices. How does that transfer into a relationship like the one you're in of like, how are you communicating with your partner in a really healthy way? And, you know, how are you finding someone in the same space on the same path as you? I mean, we're not on this. I wouldn't say we're, you know, yeah, I mean, we that's don't do the same thing in our, in our lives. Um, you know, and relationships are a lot of work. Yeah. They're a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I got, also got married very young. I met my ex-husband when I was 13, I'm sorry, 13, 18. And we were together for 13 years. Yeah. So, um, you know, I really loved him and really it was heartbreaking when the marriage ended. Um, and I think when I remember when we got married, no one said this is going to be work. This is going to be compromise. Like it's not always going to be, you know, that we're fed this Disney fairy tale version of romance, which is just not true. It doesn't, it's not happily ever after, you know, sometimes yeah. things are shitty mm-hmm. and sometimes you want to like murder them, you know, or you're frustrated <laughs> or whatever. Um, it's just like anything else. You, you just got to like sort of ride through the shit. Yeah. You know, if you want to have the high points too. Um, you know, it's funny because it's fun- men. It's funny with me with men because they always think because of what I do, um, not necessarily talking about the person I'm with now, but just in my experience, they always think like I'm super, super adventurous, uh-huh. you know, whereas I'm actually like very kind of 1950s housewife <laughs> vanilla, I think. You know, compared to other people that I'm close with, I not, you know, I'm, I'm in a monogamous relationship. Like that's, you know, for me, Yeah, I'm open yeah. to whatever anyone else is into, but, um, I love I've, you mentioning that as the inclusive, everyone is like being so careful to be inclusive of every sexuality. And it's like a monogamous relationship is part of that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, but the thing is, like I say to my partner all the time, I'm like, hey, this is like right now I only want to sleep with you. Yeah. But like, you know, I want us to have a very open dialogue about like, you know, if I'm starting to feel like differently or you're feeling differently, I want to just talk about it. Yeah. And I want that to be something that we, you know, communicate about 
regularly so we don't get to a point where you know one person is feeling stifled yeah I think that's the best part about familiarizing yourself with the sex positive community and sites like yours and everything too because I think the more you open up your mind to sexuality the more able you are to have these conversations with your partner because I feel like a lot of women of my generation are just even terrified to imagine their partner would ever want to be with somebody else and I've never felt that way I've always been like of course they're gonna want to be with other people you know at least in their imagination but well I think also if you're dealing with I mean if we're talking about a heteronormative relationship um, one thing that I, I like to remind women, heteronormative women about is that the, the male brain works very differently. So you might be out with your partner and they, you know, see someone passing down the street and they're like, you know, eyeing them or whatever. And in their brain, that's a passing thought. Like they think about it, they, it goes to the, you know, goes where it goes <laughs> and then it's gone in, um, you know, that thought is gone in a matter of like 30 seconds, whereas you might be like five hours later harboring resentment, you know, about yeah. that. But <laughs> for me, like, you know, I, it was funny. I, my, the other day, my boyfriend was on a, call, a work call, a conference call. He had it on speaker. We were trying to get out the door. He's putting on his shoes and he's simultaneously scrolling through his Instagram feed. <laughs> and, you know, he's scrolling through his, and he's doing all this all in front of me. He's scrolling through and he clicks, you know, in his feed comes up one of the, you know, the sites of all the girls in swimsuits and he sort of clicks on a picture and then he goes to that profile and he's doing this all in front of me. And I just like start laughing hysterically because I know like in his male brain, he's doing like four things at once. He's, you know, men are not very good multitaskers and I don't feel threatened at all. In fact, I feel like it's really great that he's comfortable enough with me, like he that he's doing it in front of me. I'd much rather have him do that. Yeah. I'd much rather like have him tell me like if he's watching porn or talk about it, especially given what I do. Yeah, because then it then doesn't become something that like is in the dark. Like that's affairs and things happen when you keep it in the dark and when you you know don't blow air on it. Yeah, that's a Bible verse too. Like everything you've done in darkness will be drawn to the light. But I think the light is is a beautiful place for all that garbage to be like just laid out on the table. Or maybe it's can... not garbage though. Maybe You're it's just right. like... be careful with my words. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. garbage. Like I... Like he wants to, to look at whatever he wants to look at. It's like... It's just a visual stimuli. Yeah. What is your perspective on like pornography in that way just because I know you have relationships with people that are in the porn industry and I obviously am like supportive of people that want to be there of course but I do I'm concerned at times with the way that it affects our relationship and like our psychology as a couple or it does I mean it does it you know it does there is definitely a real um I went to the AVN convention and awards like maybe five years ago and I took a boy, my boyfriend at the time. He was very upset by the whole thing. Whereas for me, it was like being at a convention, you mm. know, like a car show or whatever. And I'm learning about new products and stuff, but it is quite, it can be very depressing. It mm. does take its toll. I don't watch porn in my personal life. Um, I don't consume it. 
Um, you know, I'm very familiar with it cause I, I will look at things for research. I tend to look more, um, at vintage, uh, you know, I like, you know, sort of vintage fetish and pinup imagery better anyways, or actually homoerotic porn. I find more interesting, interesting. um, yeah. than <laughs> homoerotic male, male porn, um, than, um, than female, female. Um, but it's like saying I want there to be no internet. Like it's not going to go away. Of course. It just, it is what it is. So we as a society need to learn how to create like boundaries, how to create um, education and porn literacy around it, how mm-hmm. to, you know, unfortunately most young people are going to learn about sex through Google and, you know, learning about choking before yeah. they're having sex or, you know, you see a big rise in like people under 15 having more anal sex, um, before they're having like vaginal penetrative sex because they preserve their virginity and they yeah. don't think they can get pregnant and they don't think they'll get ST- STDs and they're learning this from porn, Yeah, you know? Um, so absolutely. I think it has a profound effect in terms of also performance anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that all said, we're not, it's not going to go away. No, not at all. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. What, yeah. So the way to combat it is just education and obviously advocating for people like Erica Lust, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. I did a couple talks with Erica in New York and she's a mom. She has two daughters that are under 13 and she and her husband run the company together. That's amazing. And they make, (laughs) um, they have all like women and non-binary identify femmes behind the camera and positions of power making erotic films. Yeah. So I think it's like creating more spaces for, for different types of diverse voices to be telling the stories because the porn industry has been traditionally white men yeah, that are making mm-hmm. the product. And so then you have these sort of patriarchy, idealized versions of sexuality and what women should be subjected to, which is degrading. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, I had a last thought. Oh, okay. So sort of in conclusion, I think it's really fascinating because I can tell you have such a beautiful spiritual practice of your own and you obviously have a sense of morality that works for you that sounds quite aligned to mine, the way you communicate with your partner, the way you want your sex life to be and everything. Um, So I just think it's interesting to like consider that it doesn't just take a strict religious practice to actually get there. Like you have found through your exploration that you've sort of aligned yourself in ways with your spirit that like, how would you describe it that just resonate with you or you? Well, I will say that, um, you know, I lost my father to cancer in 2015 and it was a, it was a battle that he went through and he, you know, being with him towards the end and he really had a reckoning. Like I'd only heard that in books or like movies, Mm. like a spiritual reckoning. You know, I had never really saw, and I've been around a lot of older people as they passed away because as I said, I spent years making this work around burlesque and the women who were a primary first person interview source material. I was close with them at the end of their life in their eighties and nineties. Um, and but I'd never seen anyone go through that before, probably because he's my father. We're so close, and he really had this fear. I think this fear that there, were, like, he wanted to hold on to something. He had a fear of dying, and and he didn't have, he hadn't cultivated a strong spiritual practice. 
mm. in his life. And that really struck me as something like I was starting to get more and more into that, you know, through, through the time in which he was sick. And, you know, I think that was a real aha moment for me with spirituality of just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like this is something that I need to start understanding my relationship to as a human being on this planet mm-hmm. um, now. Yeah. And and that maybe I do believe and I do think that it is something that each human being should think about what their what their belief system is. And it, I don't it's not up to me to say what it should be or that it should be anything at all. But, you know, we, we have a connection to other people people on the planet or you know whether it's matter or nature whatever god whatever god is yeah i love that i respect that so much and i respect that you are offering information in all of these areas and that your site and your heart is so much for spirituality and sexuality being aligned i think i'm the biggest advocate of that in the world (laughs) thank you yeah um is there anything else we should touch on I think we covered a lot of bases. I know. (laughs) No, it's really fascinating. I really appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Well, that's it. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out thesexed.com. Please order all of Liz Goldwyn's amazing books. (laughs) And you can follow us on Instagram at thesexed. Yes, perfect. All right. We love you guys. God bless. Thank you.